You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates, And if you enjoy the podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on your listening platform. If you're on Apple during today's episode, you can also leave us a five-star review, and that helps more people hear the show. Let's talk about the news. The news today is jailbreak in New York City, where the mayor is just crowing about his policies that have reduced the numbers incarcerated to historically low levels in the Big Apple. Here's the mayor. We now have fewer people in our jails than any time since World War II. And we are safer for it and better for it. This has been roundly criticized by law and order conservatives, and it also is belied by the data. If you look at this last week and compare 2020 to uh, 2019, uh, and I believe the Washington Examiner did the analysis, you could see that shootings are up 277% in uh, a comparison of this week from this week in the prior year. So not exactly a record uh, I would be too proud of. And, you know, they're also, in in addition to the data, you see just these tragic circumstances. Uh, On Twitter, Jack Posobiec replied to de Blasio, ask the parents of that one-year-old who was shot in his stroller. And uh, there you're you're seeing a reference to Devell Gardner Jr., a toddler who was killed uh, over the weekend when two men opened fire at a barbecue in Brooklyn. Uh, Also, I think it's important to note that you are seeing recidivism from the very people that Bill de Blasio is releasing under these policies. Uh, He has had to admit that recidivism, and that is uh, really, I think, well chronicled in a piece in The Blaze by uh, Breck Dumas. So make sure to check that out. We'll post it on our social media. Uh, De Blasio also taking a shot at the NYPD. Uh, saying that he has no respect for the leadership of the Sergeant's Benevolence Association. Not a great place to be in, and especially when you see the NYPD under attack. Uh, The chief of the uh, New York Police Department was on Neil Cavuto's show, and and here is that remarkable interview. One individual jumped onto the roadbed where we were and came running directly up to us and immediately started cursing us out, pushing Uh, We ordered him off the roadbed. He wasn't leaving. So we went to make an arrest. As we were arresting him, he grabs onto a railing by the walkway and a struggle begins. The fighting starts. That's when the individual comes up with a cane and hits my lieutenant in the head, cuts him open. It's my sergeant in the head, causing him to get eight staples in his head. We wish all the women and men in blue the best. Our thoughts are with you. We hope that God protects you on your mission and we'll do our best in government to make sure that we have your back. If the singing is one of your favorite parts of a church worship service, California might not be for you given Gavin Newsom's recent regulation limiting the ability of people in a worship service to sing. But that regulation is now under the scrutiny of litigation after three churches have sued Gavin Newsom for this ban on singing because of coronavirus. Morgan Phillips with Fox News has the story. Uh, Three Northern California churches uh, filed the action, and uh, this was a regulation just implemented at the beginning of July. And I think that the Attorney General has provided really significant guidance on this. 
here's how we should look at it. If there's a regulation that disproportionately impacts religion as opposed to secular society, that regulation is non-constitutional because it violates the First Amendment and it violates the free exercise clause of the First Amendment when we contemplate religion and the ability for people to exercise their religion as they so choose. Uh, now, if it is a uh, it is sort of neutral as to the question of religion. If he was to ban all singing in all circumstances, uh, then maybe that would withstand more scrutiny. So uh, it's my hope that we'll be able to have worship services and singing at worship services, and we'll follow the litigation against Governor Newsom on that front. Move over Joe Exotic. Congressman Thomas Massey and Ken Buck and I have a documentary coming out on HBO. It'll be airing on August 4th at 9 p.m. Abigail Tracy with Vanity Fair's The Hive has the exclusive coverage. We'll put that out on our social media. Here's the trailer. Mr. President. I think we won the day, sir. I didn't run as someone to unify Washington. I ran to change Washington. I had really started to think about a Donald Trump presidency. He could bring the fight to a town that badly needed it. You know, when I first heard that term, I hated it. I said, oh, that's so hokey. If people are going to drain the swamp, like the president wants to do, they need better information about how this place is broken. And that's my mission in Congress. The hierarchy of power in Washington, D.C. is special interest groups, leadership, rank and file members. It's who can raise the money and the special interest groups control the money. The lobbyists, that's the swamp. Members of Congress are expected to pay for their committee assignments. 200,000, 500,000. It becomes a perpetual campaign. It's basically how to whore yourself out for money. You care about health care, the environment. You got to care where the money's coming from. Madison didn't count on partisanship. Politics of hate is the most productive technique for fundraising we have. You make yourself a target when you live like I live. Asshole. Do something. Everybody's so obsessed deciding what we should do. Get over yourself. As if we can do something. I'm coming after you, Gabe. The only quid pro quo is Trump's commitment to drain the swamp. What has President Trump done to drain the swamp? I don't know what is in the rest of this movie. I have not seen it. Uh, they followed us around for calendar year 2019. Stay tuned for more to come. Portland police officer Jakari Jackson seems to have had enough with some of these Black Lives Matter protests. He seems to have a unique perspective as an African-American police officer in Portland. Listen to what he has to say. He says something when you're at a Black Lives Matter protest, you have more minorities on the police side than you have in a violent crowd, and you have white people screaming at black officers, you have the biggest nose I've ever seen. I got to see folks that really do want change like the rest of us that have been impacted by racism, and then I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about. Never experienced racism. They don't even know that the tactics that they are using are the same tactics that were used against 
my people. We thank Officer Jackson. We thank everyone willing to serve in law enforcement and protect us from the permanent criminal element of society. And we offer that thanks and gratitude to everyone of all background, of all races, because we are all unified as Americans. Three Florida women at the Broward County Fort Lauderdale Airport were arrested for attacking employees at Spirit Airlines because their flight has been delayed. CBS4 Miami has the report. Here it is. Tuesday night, this was the scene at gate G12. Spirit Airlines flight to Philadelphia delayed. Multiple passengers upset, some throwing their garbage at Spirit employees, some throwing fists. Among the items tossed at the gate employees were phones, shoes, full water bottles, metal board signs, and of course, fast food. The assault lasting roughly a minute before being broken up. Broward Sheriff's Office arresting three women from Philadelphia, 20-year-old Tamaya Wright, 21-year-old Kiera Ferguson, and 22-year-old Denesha Dixon arrested for battery. So these three ladies, if you can call them that, get upset with spirit because of a, a delay in a flight and they just go straight up ham, you know, throwing garbage, throwing things. And I don't know if this is just the explosion of emotion with the news of an airline delay, or if this is becoming like the new normal in society where you don't really think the cops are going to get called. You don't really think that your disturbances will ever be held to account. And so people could just go crazy. People could just uh, do things without the fear of consequences. Uh, here in this case, there were consequences, and I think it's important to note that. And of course, we can all get frustrated with airlines. We I, Look, I travel on airlines often twice a week and am, am frequently frustrated, but the people who are there working, trying to connect you, it's not their fault if there's a maintenance issue. If there, It's not their fault if there was a routing issue or a scheduling issue. And so don't be cruel or mean or criminally abusive to the workers for airlines who are just trying to do their jobs under very challenging conditions with probably a lot of stress in their own lives right now to stay safe and stay healthy and stay in service of the rest of us. Be better and know that when people screw up, at least in Florida, there's still going to be some semblance of accountability. The COVID blues are hitting the country and the impact may be more widespread than you'd originally thought. This report coming from Alexandra Tanzi, and it is entitled, Majority of Americans in Largest Cities Report COVID Depression. The survey was conducted by the U.S. Census Household Pulse. They have collected information on how people's lives have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And in some of the sunniest cities, we're seeing some of the saddest Americans with the highest depression levels reported in Phoenix, Los Angeles, and Miami. And when you really drill down into these numbers, you see that almost two-thirds of the respondents uh, are in a household where someone has lost their income due to coronavirus. And particularly for people under the age of 50, what folks are most worried about is not the public health impact. It is the impact on livelihoods and resources and careers uh, and the ability to get your life moving. And so I, I think that this is a really important thing to continue to note as we make public health decisions. The, the, it, is, it is almost impossible to unwind the economic impact of coronavirus from 
the the impact on people's health because when you see mental health deteriorate other elements of physical health deteriorate diet habits change exercise habits change uh, and so it is it is truly something that we must weigh i know this is something that the governor of florida and i uh, have discussed with great frequency uh, he tracks the suicide rate, the overdose rate, uh, the domestic violence rate, the sexual violence rate uh, that we see during this pandemic. And we are seeing real increases across the board uh, in these quality of life metrics and in these crime metrics and in these public health metrics. And so it's my hope that we can really accelerate these vaccine candidates that we've talked about on the podcast, because uh, I think ultimately that will liberate us from the mental health malaise that this Bloomberg report uh, seems to chronicle. White House Chief of Staff and my good friend Mark Meadows was on Martha McCallum's program to discuss the administration's response to coronavirus. Let's listen in. Obviously, when we look at, at uh, the coronavirus and trying to deal with it, we've learned a lot over the last four or five months. And, and sadly, it's a virus that we know that we're still looking for the answers from China in terms of the source of it. But more importantly, we're having to deal with uh, uh, how we make sure that there's proper therapeutics. Uh, we're working very quickly. I just left the Oval Office a few minutes ago as we're looking on uh, at least uh, what we can do from a therapeutics and vaccine standpoint. Standpoint yeah. and trying to make sure the American people are, are well informed. But I think the other part that we have is, is really all about trying to make sure that we keep our schools safe, our communities safe. And uh, obviously, um, we've made a, a lot of progress, but there's still a lot well, of work that, to be done. We wish Mr. Meadows and President Trump and Vice President Pence all the best as they continue to secure the resources necessary to respond to this pandemic. I can say I'm proud that in the state of Florida, not one person who has needed a ventilator or a hospital bed has not been accommodated. We've built out the capabilities in strong partnership with the federal government. 10 million masks, 15 million gown and glove kits. Uh, our medical professionals are being tested with great frequency. Our nursing home staff is being tested on a daily basis, and we're doing everything we can to make sure we put our country and our state in the best position to be resilient as we rebuild, reopen, and engage in the great American renewal. Let my people go, or at least let them tweet. My people in this case specifically being Donald Trump Jr., Jim Jordan, and, and in fact several other Republican accounts who remained locked out of their uh, Twitter accounts beyond the periods of time when myself and some others uh, had been allowed back uh, into that access. And this, of course, follows the remarkable Twitter hack that we saw that, uh, that created uh, financial fraud against people, that went and created false content on people's timelines. And it, it, because large verified accounts were targeted, uh, there was a shutdown and the inability for large verified accounts to tweet. We went uh, through that on our account. Uh, and Jim Jordan and Donald Trump Jr. saw a real delay in being reactivated. And so I, I think it does beg the question of Twitter, you know, what are the protocols when we have one of these security breaches? What can all of us expect? Uh, how can we learn more about our obligations and rights under user contracts, you know, those those uh, fine print documents that you just scroll to the end of and accept. You know, I think that perhaps this Twitter hack is an educational opportunity for us to really learn that, you know, in an event where security is compromised, where 
national security could even be compromised. Uh, what will be the, the protocol and the doctrine that will drive the decision making? I think it would be a good thing uh, for transparency and openness on those questions. Do you ever wonder who's on these blacklists? You know, we covered in the show yesterday the screenshots that were shared, great reporting over at Breitbart, uh, where Twitter can suspend or suppress or alter uh, the nature of a trend or, or perhaps even a person. And so as Americans, would you want to know what trends have been suppressed on the Twitter blacklist? Would you want to know what people are on the blacklist? What accounts? Maybe the United States Congress should subpoena Twitter to find out who is on their blacklist and why. Maybe Congress should ask questions about what causes a specific trend to be blacklisted or enhanced. I certainly know that Project Veritas has put out viral content, explosive videos, exposing Twitter and other technology platforms, and they just don't seem to trend. I'm willing to bet that Twitter has suppressed the spread of content from Project Veritas because they didn't like the honest reporting when the cameras were turned on them. We should learn more about this. I want to know who's on the blacklist and what content has been blacklisted by Twitter. No technology platform should get to control what we see and what we think so they can control how we act. That is not how America works, and that is some sort of like dystopian view of the cherished Americans in our country that I'm still fighting for. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Have a great weekend, everyone, and tune in next week. I'll be here with more Hot Takes. <laughs>